Welcome back to episode 31 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Woman and the Dragon. I can hardly wait. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who's teaching us about the book of Revelation by relating it to the Latter-day Saint temple experience. In our last episode, John the Revelator showed us the war in heaven, when the dragon Lucifer sweeps a third of the stars of heaven down to the earth to make war against the saints. Now we're in chapter 12 of Revelation, when the dragon makes war on a woman and her child. We really need an explanation of all that. Okay, <laughs> let's get into it. <clears throat> in Revelation 12, verses 1 and 2, quote, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her had a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. So, what's that all about? In this scene, John sees in the sky what he calls a great sign, right? A sign, a great wonder in heaven. In Greek, the word is simeon, which is the Greek word for a sign or a token, okay? So we have to remember that John isn't seeing a literal woman in the sky, but a symbolic woman who serves as a sign or a token. And now, in the Greek language, the word simeon commonly means not only a wonder or a miracle, but a constellation in the sky, interpreted as an omen of something. Remember, they were deeply into astrology, and they looked up and they saw something in the sky, they thought of it as a sign or mm -hmm. an omen. Okay? Mm -hmm. The woman that John sees is the constellation Virgo, which is the second largest constellation in the sky after Hydra, the dragon. Virgo was known in ancient mythology as the Great Mother, the Queen of Heaven, and many Middle Eastern cultures recognize this Simeon, this sign of the Great Mother. Scholars say that, quote, the Queen of Heaven in all her aspects is central to understanding the book of Revelation. This is something a lot of people just don't know. You need to know these things in order to understand what's going on in Revelation. The crown that Virgo has, the crown of 12 stars, reminded ancient people of the wreath of 12 burning gemstones in the crown of Hera, who is the queen of the gods, and the patroness of sacred marriage. So Virgo has all of these meanings to those people. Uh, she wears what's called the crown of life, which in ancient mythology was promised to those who were tested and proved victorious. Okay, so this is all very meaningful to the ancients. And when they read John, they understood all this. And the crown, uh, the Greek word for crown is Stephanos. It was a token of priesthood and royalty. And today we call that uh, constellation uh, the Corona Borealis. You can see it sometimes in the fall um, over the head of Virgo. It says the woman is closed with the sun, with the moon at her feet. What's that all about? Well, every year just before mm. fall comes, uh, the sun passes through the constellation Virgo. So she lights up with the sun. And at the same time, the moon moves right under her feet. <laughs> so you have the sun in her face and the moon under her feet. So that it's this constellation Virgo okay, that he's talking about. So to the ancients, it looked like Virgo was standing on the moon. Mm. Okay. Now, when Virgo rises in the sky, it is an annually, it's a signal that fall is coming. 
And then she drops down in the sky uh, over the winter, and she does not come back up until springtime. So it looks like she's running away, which is no wonder because a monster is chasing her. Yeah. Could you read for us Revelation 12, verses 3 through 6? Yeah, I can do that. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was caught up unto God, and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And something tells me 42 is coming up. <laughs> That's right. In this constellation, the great red dragon is, if you remember from last time, the many-headed snake, uh, Hydra, which is the largest constellation in the sky. And he, uh, if you look up in the sky, he is underneath, he's kind of threatening Virgo from below, okay? In the sky, it looks like he's chasing Virgo. Hydra has several red stars, so that's why he's called the red dragon. Uh, in biblical terms, he is the serpent from Eden. Oh. Who, who's stalking Eve, right? Okay, that makes sense. And, and who will have his head crushed by the seed of the woman. Remember that from Genesis. Mm -hmm. Of course, we understand that the serpent symbolizes Satan. So the great red dragon, Hydra, is Satan. And he crouches by the woman, waiting for her to give birth so he can destroy her child. But God takes the child, and the woman flees into the wilderness. So who are this woman and her child? And what do they represent? The theme of mother, child, and dragon. It's everywhere in Middle Eastern mythology. For example, in Egypt, um, the mother goddess Isis, she hides her child Horus in the Nile River reeds to escape from the murderous god Sate, who uh, is the Egyptian Satan. The Egyptians also saw Isis in the constellation Virgo, and the dragon constellation was to them was the wicked god Sate. So the same story, you mm -hmm. see, just in Egyptian terms. Mm -hmm. Of course, what we're seeing is the drama of Eve confronted by Satan and then sent off into the wilderness to give birth in pain as we read in Genesis 3, 16, quote, in sorrow shall you bring forth children, unquote. So the woman clothed with the sun is Eve, for the dragon makes war on the remnant of her seed in the wilderness of mortality. Of course, her seed will ultimately crush the serpent. And likewise, in the New Testament, Mary and the infant Jesus escape from King Herod into Egypt, where they allegedly remain for three years, or three and a half, according to some authorities. In Christian art, King Herod is identified with the dragon who threatens the Holy Child. In many paintings, Herod is shown wearing a crown with the symbol of the dragon demon on it. 
It says that the woman and her child escape to the wilderness and stay there for 1,260 days. That's our old 42 months we've heard so much about. Right. Yes, here we are again. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Why does the woman stay in the wilderness for 42 months? Well, for Eve, for Mary, for all their offspring, including us, it is, quote, the time of the desert. I say it's the time of the desert because the Greek word that, that, uh, that John actually used, um, the Greek word for wilderness, is eremos, which means desert. So she actually goes into the desert of mortality. Just like in the temple drama, even Adam and their children go wandering in the desert for a while, right? That's mortality. Uh, the very great French theologian Jacques Ellul, he says that this is a time of testing for humanity. This guy's not LDS, but he's, he's got an amazing grasp of the doctrine here. He says, this is a time of testing for mortality, for humanity. The time when man is free to act for himself. With all the risks that that involves, out in the desert, the man and woman have no other support than God. Now, I like this guy. He's, he's not LDS, but he's very, very close. I think... Uh, I think Elil is very close to understanding the true story here. The story takes place in autumn and winter. Uh, there's another scholar, Jacques Chevalier, who points this out, quote, the woman's flight marks the beginning of the darker half of time, a sojourn in the wilderness, coinciding with the serpent's dominion over the world, unquote. In other words, she's out in the desert, Satan is there, this is his territory. He's in charge, sort of, okay? In other words, the family has to go through a dark time of being enticed and, and hassled by Satan to see what kind of choices they will make. That's us, right? We're the family right? Talk, talking about here. As I understand it, we're talking about the period of our mortal life where we get tested and humbled and prepare for eternal life. Right. Right. One non-Latter-day Saint scholar, this is another one, is very, very close to the true story. You know, it's interesting to me that so many non-Latter-day Saint scholars get really close to the true story because they study it, and they study all the ramifications, the history around it, the astrology that John used. They study it, and they get closer and closer to the true story because they are scholarly in their approach. Now, that doesn't lead you to the temple but it leads you to the closer and closer to the truth if yeah. you study study is an important thing right and that's what these guys do so one of these non-latter-day saint scholars says something very interesting about this his name is john resigui and i think he's inspired or at least very intuitive and he says this quote the narrative setting of the desert or wilderness amplifies Revelation's master plot of an arduous journey to a new land. That's what it's all about. The wilderness is in between space. It is between the Israelites' captivity in Egypt and their freedom in the promised land, where the followers of Christ escape from the Pharaoh of Revelation, who is the devil, right? And receive asylum and divine help on their journey to the new Jerusalem. That's what Revelation is all about. I'm astounded that this man, uh, John Resigui, has figured that out because that's the true story. 
This guy understands what's going on in Revelation. Do you remember when we talked about the ketubah? Mm-hmm. Marriage contract, yeah. Yeah, the Jewish marriage contract and the space between engagement and wedding. Right. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Well, the desert is the place where the bride waits for the groom to finish making a dwelling for her. Right? I'm going to make a mansion for you. Right? Mm-hmm. She's betrothed to him, to the bridegroom, but she has to wait quote, in the wilderness, for the Lord to carry out the plan of salvation. And um, so that's why we're here. We are awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom. And verse 14 tells us that she is, quote, nourished for time, times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. So what is meant by time, times, and half a time? One time. (laughs) Time, times, and half a time. Okay. One time is one year. Times is two years. And half a time is half a year, which adds up to... Three and a half years, or 42 months. Hello. Here we are again. Here we are again. Yes, and of course, the Lord nourishes her with his word during the 42 months in the wilderness. She's not left alone. The Lord feeds her with his word through through the 42 months. And so here we are in mortality We're experiencing our 42 months, and the Lord feeds us with his word. He doesn't leave us alone, okay? In the meantime, though, the dragon keeps stalking the woman, just like he stalks us. He stalks the woman and her posterity, who, of course, uh, well, that's us. And so let's see what happens. Could you read for us chapter 12, verse um, 15? Yep. And the serpent cast out of his mouth, water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood so here's the great flood again here's the great river euphrates again yeah which represents the flood that threatens the promised land satan sends a flood of temptations and horrors to tempt and try the woman and her posterity but she is safe in the wilderness um, she's been carried away to safety on the wings of a great eagle, it says, in, as you read a little earlier. Now, Joseph Smith, interestingly enough, changed verse 7 of chapter 12 to read this way. The woman is the church of God who had been delivered of her pains and brought forth the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And that's Joseph Smith explaining to us who this woman is. Okay, you asked. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. She is the Church of God. Okay. okay. Now in the scriptures, and, and and she she escapes on eagles' wings into the wilderness. In the scriptures, eagles' wings represent God's power. Uh, clear back to Isaiah, who says, "Quote: They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles." They shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. That's um, Isaiah 40, verse 31. So the woman and her posterity are safe from Satan's onslaught as long as they serve the Lord and receive his nourishment through the word. Okay. Now here's an interesting side note. The Egyptians called the wilderness of Exodus the red land, uh, and their word for it was deshret for the woman, slash church, it is, quote, the place prepared of God where she is to be nourished. It's a desert. 
In other words, it's the celestial world in which we live. Mm-hmm. The dragon, beast, Satan, the self-proclaimed god of this world, which is a funny title, he continues to tempt and try us, but God sustains us through his spirit and the words of his prophets. We must be tried in a desert, in a wilderness. I've always been interested in something Brigham Young said um, about Utah, which is, as everybody knows, um, desert country. Mm-hmm. He called it Deseret, which in Egyptian meant the red land, the desert, um, between Egypt and Palestine, that we today call the desert of Sinai. Well, Brigham Young said about his Deseret, which is, was Utah, he said, quote, this is a good place to make saints, <laughs> mm. and it is a good place for saints to live. Now, why did he say that, do you think? Because this is a place that requires hard work and effort to flourish, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a good place to make saints, other people. We're in, a, in a place where it's too easy, right, where the grass grows without any work on your part, well, that's one thing, but the desert is a good place to make saints. That's what Brigham Young said. And he said, this is the place the Lord has appointed uh, Deseret, very close to the Egyptian word, Deseret, right? The place which God for us prepared, and there the saints will be blessed. I love that song, it's company saints. Yes, yeah. So Deseret means the place where God turns people into saints. That's right. In Egyptian, Deseret was a tough land to live in. And it was right between Egypt and the promised land. And the children of Israel had to cross it for how long? 42 years. There were 42 stages along the way. That's right. So how long will our test go on? Mm. For time, times, and half a time, or 1,260 days, or three and a half years, it's all the same. Okay, this formula refers to the 42 stages of the Exodus, and as we've said over and over, it is a metaphor for mortal life, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. we've established that again and again. For 1,260 days, the Lord maintains the woman in the wilderness, but remember another 1,260 days from, from earlier, an earlier episode that we talked about. For 1,260 days, the Lord speaks through two witnesses. Remember the two witnesses mm-hmm. at the temple door who preach and preach, and fire comes out of their mouth, which is just a metaphor for the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And scholars have this to say, quote, The preservation of the church during the time of the two witnesses is the same period as the period of the woman clad with the sun, who is also preserved in the desert while the beast exerts authority. Okay, So this is all symbolic of our mortal life. The two witnesses are symbolic of the prophets who try to teach us the word of God. And during this time, we are constantly enticed by one or the other, by messengers of the Lord or the messengers of the devil. And you can see that in 2 Nephi 2, verse 16. There's another really interesting scripture in the book of Micah in the Old Testament. He says, we will, we will be in this state, quote, until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren, Christ's brethren, shall return unto the children of Israel. Close quote. So that's really interesting. 
little verse, Micah chapter 5, verse 3. One more question. What does the child of the woman represent? According to Joseph Smith, the woman's child is the kingdom of God to be established during the millennium. And um, hmm. he says that in his uh, inspired translation of the Bible, Revelation 12, verse 7. Prophet Joseph said, quote, The literal kingdom of God and the church of God are two distinct things. They're not the same. The gifts of prophets, evangelists, and so forth were never designed to govern men in civil matters. Okay, so we're talking about a distinction between the political government of the earth, which will be under Christ's rule in the millennium, and the uh, spiritual kingdom, which is the church. Okay, Elder George Q. Cannon explained the difference this way. The kingdom of God is a separate organization from the church of God. When established, it will not be for the protection of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints alone, but for the protection of all, whatever their religious views or opinions may be, unquote. So the kingdom of God remains in the wilderness until, uh, as Micah says, he comes forth who is to be ruler in Israel. So it's the political kingdom of God won't be established until the millennium. So where is Adam while Eve and her posterity are under the threat from Satan? Interesting question. All through this war, the angel Michael protects the woman from the dragon's attacks. Can you uh, read Revelation 12, verse 7 for us? Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. So Michael is in the fight. Now, who is Michael? Joseph Smith taught us Michael is Adam. Mm -hmm. So Adam is out there in the fight alongside Eve, and he, is, he has a sort of protective role. Now, an important note. The Greek word for war is polemos, from which we get our English word polemic. Have you ever heard that word, polemic? I've never heard that word. Well, a polemic is not a war of weapons, but a war of ideas. So when you hear two... Two people debating, for example, they're engaged in a polemic, okay? They're not killing each other, they're fighting over ideas, mm -hmm. right? A polemic is a dispute of some kind, um, but it is not a violent dispute of um, weapons, it is a dispute of words. Dispute, in this case, is over whose plan to follow, right? The Lord's or, or Lucifer's. Now, in this war of words, Revelation tells us, the dragon prevailed not, so he's losing. But for now, the fight goes on, and Satan continues to harass us. And now if you would read chapter 12, verse 17. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war, a polemic war, with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Right, Satan. Satan is absolutely consumed with envy. Uh, the dragon tries everything he knows how to seduce us, as he did the third of the spirits, through bribery. What do you want, he asks us, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you can have anything you want if you will worship me. It's tough to resist a deal like that. Yeah. And what's more, in our next podcast, he brings along some pretty powerful help, a couple of very nasty beasts 
as we will see in the next episode. Well, I guess we're going to be excited about it. Be introduced to these nasty bees. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thanks for your time.